and let's take our Bibles. We will turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're starting our new series in the book of Colossians. Now, many of you have green thumbs. You go to your house and uh, in the summer, not right now, your yards have flowers all over them and I'm envious because I have a brown thumb. Paul is great at raising plants, but when she goes out of town and I'm left to tend them, she's not real happy with me when she gets back. Just don't have the nurturing that's needed to bring growth in plants. You know, nurturing is something that not only brings growth in plants, it brings growth in people. And when we look in the New Testament, we find letter after letter written by apostles that share with us how to nurture one another. And you know, one of the common denominators in all of those letters is the place that the church plays in our life and our growth. Christianity isn't an isolation-type relationship where there's just us and God. What we find as we look into the Word of God is God has a high view of the church. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we should have a high view as well. We need one another. We need a church family. And that's what I want us to see as we go through the message this morning. We're going to see some of the core values of a particular community of believers, the church at Colossae. And what we're going to see is God has a place for them to fellowship with one another, but I don't want this to be a history lesson where we look back at the church of Colossae. I want this to be a message that addresses our own personal needs and our own personal outlook. We need to understand that there's a place at Oakland Bible Church for you. We need you. And we need to share these common values in order to grow as a body of believers, but also in order to grow as an individual. We truly need one another. Now, we're going to start with the beginning of this passage, the first couple of verses. And in it, we find that there is a community of believers there in Colossae, but it's right in the midst of a culture of unbelief. They had to struggle in the midst of a society where many did not share their faith, where many did not agree with their viewpoint on who God is and how He should be followed. And just as that was true of the first century believers, isn't it true of us today? We find that when we go out into the world, when we work in the workplace, when we rub shoulders even with family members, many of them don't share the common faith that we have. So that's one of the reasons that we need a body of believers, where we can come together in common faith, where we can share that knowledge of who God is and how we follow Him together. That's why when we look in the New Testament, so much emphasis is placed on unity. 
But not unity for the sake of unity. It is unity in the sense that we come together with a common faith. We have a community of shared beliefs. Here in Colossians, Paul begins his letter by identifying himself, Paul, by identifying his position where he says an apostle of Christ Jesus. And we understand that apostle was an important role, an important ministry of leadership in the early church. The apostles were specifically sent by God to be responsible for teaching the truth of God. And they were responsible for ministering to the early churches. In fact, our New Testament is a collection of the apostles' teachings. And just as these truths were for the unique churches that the apostles wrote to in the first century, God recorded them in His eternal Word. And the reason God places it in His eternal Word is because we need to hear these things too. So there is authority behind the teaching that we're looking into this morning. The authority of an apostle, but more than that, the authority of the Holy Spirit of God who saw to the inspiration of Scripture. When Paul identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he is stating, listen to what I'm about to share with you. Understand these truths are crucial for you to adopt and implement. So that's what we want to do as we go through our study of Colossians together. We want to see what God has to say to us clearly in His Word, but not just walk away with an understanding where we say, wow, I understand a lot more about Colossae and I understand a lot more about apostles. I am special. That's not the purpose of this. We are to learn these things so that they can change our lives, so that we can grow in our walk with God and in our understanding of Him. So here is Paul writing to these people along with Timothy, the one that Paul had mentored. I started to say mentee, but that sounds like something your breath is after you brush your teeth. I still just can't buy into mentee. I guess a lot of people use it, but it sounds weird to me. But at any rate, here we have Timothy. He is a faithful brother. He is one that Paul personally discipled. And so he is being upheld as an example of how we affect one another toward growth. But look at what Paul states in the second verse. Paul identifies two truths about the believers who were there in Corinth. And I would submit to you these are truths that are also directed toward any believer And look at how we're described to the holy and faithful faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Holy and faithful. Wouldn't that be a description that any follower of Jesus Christ would want made of them? I hope that when people talk about my walk with with God, that, that they describe me as, as holy and faithful. I hope when people think of Oaklawn Bible Church as a body of believers, that they would think of us as a group who strives toward holiness and faithfulness. When the Word of God addresses 
the people of Colossae is holy, what does it mean? There are a couple of aspects to holiness. Holiness very simply means to be set apart unto God. It's a common word that we find sometimes even translated saints in the Scripture. Do you realize this morning that if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, that you're a saint? Sainthood isn't conferred on people by their works. We become saints because of the work of Jesus Christ. And we stand as those who are holy to God, His own possession, saints, because of our personal faith in Jesus Christ. This morning, if you are a follower of Christ, if you have trusted Him, you're a saint. We've allowed others to define sainthood in some bizarre ways where there are works and lists that have to be met in order to be called one. God calls the rank and file of believers holy to Him, saints belonging to Him. So there's that positional aspect of holiness. We are God's people. We belong to Him. But then there's also the experiential aspect of holiness. If I am God's possession and He is at work in my life, then it's going to demonstrate itself by the way that I live. I won't live like the world around me. I will live in a way that matches up with what God teaches, with what God says. So holiness has a positional aspect. I am a child of God. I belong to God. But it has an experiential aspect. I will live in light of who I am. And that's where faithfulness comes in. When we think of faithfulness, we think of someone who consistently does what they believe. In fact, the word faithful is from the root word that means faith. There's a shock. But what does that carry with it? What does it mean to have faith? To have faith means that we trust the veracity, the truth of something. And that we trust it so much, it affects our lives. If I look at something and say that I believe it, but behave completely contrary to what I've claimed that I believe then do I really mean that I believe that truth? If I believe that if I walk blindfolded across 95th Street at rush hour, is that something that I will do? Well, I'd be crazy if I did because that's believing in the wrong thing. But it's acting on it. If I believe that taking vitamins will help me, I'll take vitamins. If I believe that putting on my seatbelt will keep me from being hurt in an automobile accident. I'll put on my seatbelt. We act on what we believe. Faithful people live what they believe. So when Paul is calling the church at Colossae faithful and holy, he's talking about behavior that is informed by their faith. And he's talking about a position that they enjoy because of their faith. And that's something that we all share as we think about who we are in Christ Jesus. 
Look at what else is said in this introduction. So often when we look at the introduction of one of these letters, we kind of cut to the chase. All right, yada, yada, yada. Let's pick it up at verse 3. But there's more than yada, yada, yada in this introduction. First of all, as we've seen, he calls the people holy and faithful brothers in Christ. It's talking about a community. But then he prays this for them right at the end of that second verse. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. In other words, what he's saying to them and to us is may you experience the grace and peace of God our Father. What a great prayer. When we trust Christ, we experience the grace of God that leads to salvation. But grace doesn't stop there. Grace is operative throughout our lives, sustaining us, giving us the ability to lead the kind of lives that would cause us to be described as faithful. Grace is an important part of all of our lives. So God is saying in this text what He wants to see of us in our spiritual growth is, first of all, grace. But the other part of this formula that Paul is saying I want to see incorporated into the church is peace. Now, when we think of peace, we think of absence of conflict. When we look at the Hebrew concept of peace, shalom, it carries with it more the idea of being all that you ought to be. That's the concept of peace, this wholeness, this completeness. What God wants to see for every believer is a growth toward completeness, maturity. He wants us to experience that peace and that grace in our lives. So here is this community of faith. We are united with other believers because of that common faith that we share. But then we find something else. Paul is saying in the second verse, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ, so this is a community of believers, they're brothers and sisters in Christ, but they're located somewhere. They're at Colossae. And what we need to understand from this statement is very simple. We continue as a community of believers and we continue faithfully even though it's in a challenging context. Now for us, when we hear the word Colossae, we think, okay, Colossae, some little dot on a map somewhere that doesn't have a lot of meaning to me. And even if I knew where it was, I have no idea of what it was like when it was. So let's talk about Colossae for just a moment. And what we're going to see are there's some there are some parallels between this ancient city and what goes on in our context and in our culture today. A lot of parallels. Because man has the same basic problems no matter what time or what place they're from. So Colossae, what was it like? Colossae is a town that was in what would be modern-day Turkey. 
It was a community that was declining in population because there were cities around it that were starting to increase in, ta- in, in, in their size and, and increase in their influence. Uh, so Colossae was somewhat on decline, but it was still an important city in the area in which it was in. And it was a place where philosophers gathered. It was a place where there was a large transplanted Jewish community. There were Greeks, there were Romans, there were philosophers, there were politicians. It was a context where many people looked away from a biblical worldview that we would have and pursued sort of a mixed pot of all of these influences that were blended into a belief system. What we find is it's very much like what we face today as followers of Jesus Christ. When we look at our world today and we look at our country, we see a mixed bag of belief systems, don't we? And what we find is the only thing that people believe that you shouldn't do is to believe that your faith system is exclusive. There's pressure to just blend with other outlooks, other viewpoints, and water down your belief system, go along to get along. And this was the pressure that the church at Colossae was facing. There were teachers who were coming in and espousing the view that they needed to embrace this mixture of philosophy pagan religion, Judaism, and yeah, we'll welcome you in as Christians if you cast aside what you believe and embrace these other things, adding it to your belief system, compromise what you've been taught about God. So this is a context that brought great challenge to these followers of God. And as I thought about this text, and I thought about the context of this situation, I thought about how our world basically tries to pressure us into that same viewpoint. More and more, we are seeing Christian bodies of believers being pressured by society to set aside long-held beliefs that are based on the Word of God and embrace a current trend or a thought process or philosophy that portends to groupthink. That's not what God called us to. We don't find truth through taking a poll and taking a vote and saying, what do most people believe, and then embrace that belief system. We find truth by the revelation of God. And that's what we have here with our Scripture. So as we go through Colossians, one of the things that the Word of God is really going to stress is the importance of embracing and maintaining the truth that God has given once and for all His Word. Something else we're going to see as we go through this text There are some core values that we as believers 
we as a local community of believers should embrace. And they're outlined for us in verses 3 through much of the rest of this paragraph. And we're going to start with these three core values, faith, love, and hope, by talking about the importance of centering your faith on Christ Jesus. Look at the third verse. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now we're going to pause with this first thought. We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. One of the core values that a community of believers should share is this core value of faith. We are a faith community. And here's the thing. Our faith is not in faith. Our faith is in an object of faith, Christ Jesus. This is what Paul commends the Colossian church for. He commends them for having faith in Christ Jesus. Faith has no value if the object of faith has no value. Think about some of the things that people have believed in in the past that were just flat out dead wrong. I ran across this advertisement. Kind of fits in with the first of the year. Fat can be banished. Uh, and the answer is sanitized tapeworms. They actually encourage people to infect themselves with tapeworms to lose weight. Now, the upside is there's no diet, there's no exercise, it will take care of itself. The downside is you get a 20-foot tapeworm in your intestines, and they can migrate to other parts of your body and cause terrible problems. Now, the people believed this. Some of them believed it enough to do it. And there were horrible results because the object of their faith was fallacious. It was the wrong thing to believe. As followers of Jesus Christ, we believe in one who is true. In God who became man and lived among us, dying on the cross for our sins raising again, ascending to the right hand of the Father, and He's coming again. That is the Jesus that we believe in. That is Christ Jesus, the object of our faith. And that has to be a core value for us as followers of Jesus Christ. We are to place our faith in Him, not in human contraptions and ideas, but in Him, the focal point of our faith. Something else we find in this text we need to commit to love fellow believers. Notice the text goes on in this fourth verse. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. How do we know when a person is following Jesus by their faith? Now, I've heard a lot of measurements in my day from people who say, this is how I know that someone really has faith in Jesus. And 
they'll mention orthodoxy. Now, that's important. We want to believe the right things. I just said that the object of our faith is vital. Some people will say it's how you live your life, whether or not you dot your I's properly or cross your T's properly. That's how we know that a person really has faith. You know what the Scripture says is a measurement of whether or not we're really following in faith, whether I have love for others. In fact, Jesus called it the defining mark of a disciple. It says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now look at verse 35. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If we're really following Jesus, it's going to be demonstrated by the way that we love one another. Churches should be marked by their love for one another. And yet, what we so often find is churches are hotbeds of controversy where there is division and exclusion and not love. God wants us to be people who love one another intensely. Flip over to the third chapter for a moment. Colossians chapter 3. Now, I'm not trying to steal my thunder for when this passage comes up, but I want us to just look ahead for a moment and see the emphasis that the Apostle Paul places on love. In the 12th verse of Colossians chapter 3, it says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. When we look at love, these characteristics will demonstrate themselves in a loving relationship. And to make this crystal clear, he goes on in the 13th verse to say, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So how do I know when I'm being loving toward another person? I forgive them. Ouch, these are difficult standards, aren't they? But this is what God calls us to. And then look at the 14th verse. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. God wants us to be people of love. If we are a community of believers, not only should faith, being directed toward the proper object of faith, be a core value, but community love for one another, vital as a core value. A third core value. We need to consider things in light of hope. After Paul, in the fourth verse, talks about faith and love that they had for all the saints, look at verse 5. And in verse 5, it says this, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. Now, what we find as the fuel for our faith 
and our love is the proper perspective that hope brings. Understand, hope isn't wishful thinking. It's not looking at your thermometer this morning and seeing, oh, it's four degrees out there. I hope I won't be cold. You know? You're going to be cold. It's four degrees. The lining of your nose is going to go hard when you go out and take a deep breath. That's part of the joy of living in Chicago, right? Hope is a confident expectation. But look at this hope. Here the Word of God says that we have a hope that is stored up in heaven for you. This is a definite hope. Not iffy, but established. We have a hope that is stored up in heaven for us by an awesome God who loves us. And when that becomes my perspective, and I start to grasp the fact that I am deeply loved by God and He has accepted me as one of His holy ones, one of His saints, and I have heaven awaiting me, And when I start to look at life and consider things in light of that truth, it's going to change the way I love and the way I grow in my faith. We begin to understand who we are in Christ because of this tremendous love that God has for us. And that is a blessing to us all. We need to think in terms of what do I believe? What are the things that God has given me? What are the things that bring real hope in my life? This is stored up for me in heaven. That's why we find that later in the third chapter, Paul calls all believers to this. Since then you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. That's our hope. I am safe in relationship with Jesus Christ and He's coming again and I will see Him in glory. So when we have those days that are challenging and we wonder, am I going to make it? Fix your eyes on hope. When you have those ethical questions, and it seems like doing the unethical thing might be more beneficial than remaining true to what you believe. Fix your eyes on that hope. This hope is stored up in heaven for us, and we can count on the truth of this. And look at what 5 goes on to say. This faith and hope that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. What brought us 
into this blessed place of hope, faith, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what gives us our standing with God. That's what puts us in the place to where we have this secure position of hope stored up for us in heaven. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were delivered into a relationship of hope. And that hope stands because of that faith. Paul said this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, in other words, you've been made right with God through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, look at verse 2 through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Isn't that a great verse? When I place my personal faith in Jesus Christ, I gain access by God's grace into right standing with Him. I am justified and I stand in that grace. And look at what this produces And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Our faith puts us into right standing with God, which brings us hope. Core value of a church. Final thoughts. We're connected with other believers by this gospel. Look again with me at the sixth verse. And here, after that conclusion of the thought in verse 5, it continues with this thought. All over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. We come to know Christ in the same way. Whether you're across the world or here in the United States, whether you're rich or poor, Old or young, we all come into a relationship with God in the same way. That's by hearing the gospel and responding to its truth. But as Paul talks about this gospel, he talks about it bearing fruit. And I think he's referring to a couple of truths about the gospel. Number one, the gospel spreads bearing fruit by seeing many respond to the gospel and as they share with others about what they've experienced in the way of forgiveness, the gospel bears fruit by many people coming to Christ. The gospel message itself is powerful. That's why Paul said this in Romans 1, 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That's the gospel. Place your faith in God, in the provision that He made in Christ Jesus, and you are saved. Simple. Understandable. Powerful. And listen, when people do that, 
God transforms them. You don't transform yourself in order to be good enough to receive the gospel. You come in your sin, acknowledging that to God, seeking to turn from it. You turn to God, embrace the truth that He offers you eternal life and forgiveness, and God is at work in your heart and your life to transform you and make you someone totally new. That's the beauty. That's the power of the gospel. It was bearing fruit. Lives were being changed. But you know, there's another aspect of the gospel. Not only is it talking about the spread of the gospel from Colossae into other regions of the world, it's also talking about the growth that I personally experience from the gospel. The gospel changes lives. Now, let me be very quick to say this. I can't account for the rate of change that takes place in another person's life. I can't look at my life and say, God changed me in this way, so if someone else isn't changed in the same way that I'm changed, then they haven't responded to the gospel. We need to be careful of that. What we do see is this. God does His work of transformation in our hearts and our lives by the Spirit of God. And it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's a transformation that God brings. I'm so thankful for that. You know, I've been a pastor for 35 years. And I've seen some people who rocket in their change immediately, and I'm just like, whoa, unbelievable. Unfortunately, some of those people rocket and then crash. And then I've seen the ones like, you know, is there anything going on in there? You know? I just really wonder if they really get it. And then it clicks, and God starts to transform them. The gospel bears fruit. And here's the thing. God determines how it affects, how it works in our lives. And we need to be careful in evaluating others, but also careful in evaluating ourselves. Because I will say this, if you have made a profession of faith and you see no fruit in your life as far as the change that the gospel should bring, then stop and do some evaluation. Have I truly trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things pass away, new things come. That is a part of the transformation that the gospel brings. So if you don't experience the transformation, you need to question yourself and ask whether or not you have truly placed your faith in Christ. One final thought. The gospel comes because it's communicated by faithful servants. Look at the last part of this passage, verse 7. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. How did the church at Colossae come to respond to the gospel? Here's something amazing about Colossae. Paul's writing to them, but he had never been there. 
never visited the church at Colossae. Someone else brought the gospel. They responded. And now as a church leader, he's writing to them while he's in prison, which is one of the reasons he didn't visit them, to share with them how they can grow. What amazes me is God uses imperfect people to share his perfect truth, the gospel. Epaphras was a faithful servant of God. He's mentioned here in Colossians and Philemon. So he had an important role, an important place in the church of Colossae. But a big part of that role was the foundational role of sharing the gospel and leading this faith community to Christ. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to understand that it's not up to the pastor, it's not up to elders, it's up to me to share the gospel with my sphere of influence. See, Epaphras was already known to the people at Colossae. He shared the gospel because those were the people that he rubbed shoulders with. Those were the people of his community. That was the circle that God had placed Epaphras in. And he shared the gospel. And a church started because of his faithfulness. May I say this to you this morning? God has put you in a community, a circle where you can be an Epaphras. You can be that person in the context of that community that they'll hear. You can share the gospel and let them know the good news of Jesus Christ in a unique way that no one else in this room can. Now, maybe your spiritual gift is planting a seed Maybe it's cultivating. Maybe some of you actually get to see people harvested as they respond to the gospel. But whatever role you play in your community, whether it's planting seeds or cultivating those who have heard the gospel, God has called you to it. And we must be faithful to serving this one true God who gives us the one true faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for the reminder that it is to all of us that we are to be followers of Jesus Christ, growing, ever growing in our walk with him. Give us that ability to serve and follow to your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.